0: uh good morning everyone it's good to see you all this morning uh we're excited to meet some of you as well who we haven't had the chance of meeting after the service so we would love to do that my wife is here maybe you can wave your hand maybe people don't know you my wife is sitting right back there ava and uh, our kids are in the kids ministry but they will be there after the service as well we just want to say thank you this has been such a gift for us as well Um, This last, you know, three months or maybe four or five months at Vintage, but we've been in the States for about two years now and plugging into community has been such a blessing for us. Um, You know, we've served overseas for almost 10 years and coming back, I think that uh, we weren't planning on coming back. Well, we weren't planning on staying this long, but we got stuck with covid which is the story of many people. And um, my wife and I, we've been thinking in the last uh, few days and just thinking how much of a blessing this season has been. It was was one of those seasons that you didn't know you needed it. And, um, And now we're eager to go back, but we also are somewhat... I wish this could last a little bit longer, you know, because it has been so refreshing for us to be here and to be in community and to worship with more than, you know, five or ten believers, you know, that we don't have a room this big with people that we get to worship with. And so um, so we want to say thank you, too. I mean, this has just been such a, a blessing to be here and to get to know some of you. So this morning as we jump in Steve uh, started last week a series on momentum and I'm going to continue in that series and this morning our our focus is on saying yes to the call of God which is ironic I guess being a missionary um saying yes to God's call and, and what that means so as we jump into that this morning I want to I want to start with two passages for us and then I will pray we're going to read out of Matthew 22 And then I'm going to read one other passage out of Matthew 16. So first, Matthew 22, if you have your Bibles, you can open there, 22 verses 34 through 40. While you open your Bibles, I'll tell you just a quick story. It's been a little bit of a whirlwind the last three weeks. My wife went overseas. We're not saying the country for security reasons, but she went overseas to land us an apartment, and she actually got COVID while she was there. And so she had this was three weeks ago she left, so she was only going to go there for a week. She got covid it wasn 't that bad, thankfully, but she uh, had to stay she couldn 't fly so I had another week at home with our kids, and we're also trying to get things ready to move and um, thankfully, a week ago she was able to come back so we're looking to leave in about four weeks from now, February 27th. That's the plan. And so um anyway, just it's been a little bit of a whirlwind for us, but we are very glad to be here this morning. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew 22, and then right after that, I'm going to jump into Matthew 16. I'm going to read both of these passages. They'll also be on the screen. Matthew 22, verse 34 says this. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself on these two commandments. Depend all the law and the prophets, Matthew 16 verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, "If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, this morning, we love you. God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to come to church this morning, on a Sunday morning, to gather together as believers, with one common purpose and common goal, and that is to give you glory, to worship you, Jesus. Lord, thank you that we have this freedom. Thank you that we have this opportunity. Lord, that we get to wake up and do this together. Lord, there are countries, there are people in different parts of the world today who don't have this same freedom. And Lord, today we thank you. That we can do this for the encouragement that it brings to us, to our families and our lives. Lord, we thank you for that. God, as we read these scriptures and as we talk about your call and your invitation to us as believers, I pray that you would help us to be wholehearted. Lord, to respond wholehearted to you. That's that's our desire more than anything else is to be wholehearted. So this morning, Lord, would you speak to us in Jesus name? Amen. Well, um, as you can see, these passages, maybe you've read them. You probably have read them. They can be more generic. They seem generic, especially Matthew 22. What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, heart, soul, mind and strength. And sometimes when I think about the call of God, that's language that we've used in the church a lot. What is the call of God? Especially when it, when we get specific about our life, as, you know, young adults, I'm sure you're thinking this. Some of you may be high schoolers trying to go to college or wondering what to do with your life. And we think about what's God's will? You know, what does God want? What's God's call for me? And a lot of times that question can be overwhelming. It's easy to wonder whether the decisions we're making are God's will or whether they're part of God's call for our life. You know, maybe you're in transition, especially this last two years. I know a lot of people have maybe different jobs. Maybe you've had to move. Maybe you're in different community. And the question I think that we've asked in those situations is, God, what, what do you want? What is your will? What is your call? And I think a lot of times that can be overwhelming. In fact, to take it further, sometimes when we ask that question, we think that God's call is probably something that is impactful, right? Or maybe God's call is something that will have a blessing. Or maybe God's call is something where I'll feel nice about myself, or I'll feel comfortable, or um, for whatever reason, there will be success, right? We We tend to take the call of God as Christians, and we attach all these other things to it. We attach all these external things that maybe they don't have, maybe they're not wrong. I think they can be true, but maybe they're not always true. There's not really anywhere in the Bible that says if you are obedient that it's going to be easy. There's not really anywhere in the Bible that says if you're obedient that there will be a blessing. Although there is, some, there is some truth, there's biblical principle to that. There is blessing that God gives people, but that doesn't always mean it's easy, right? And so when we think about God's call, we sometimes attach all these other things to it. But the reality is Jesus didn't give us a lot of explanation about how we're suppo- how, what we're supposed to do. Let me clarify that. What we're supposed to do as believers. He gave us explanation about how we're to live. In fact, last fall, we did an entire series on that, Seeking First the Kingdom. In Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus gives us the value system of the kingdom. He tells us how we're supposed to live, the values that we're supposed to carry as believers. But like other religions in Islam, for example, one I'm very familiar with, there's certain things that you have to do, right? There's a call to prayer five times a day, right? If you go to a Muslim country today... The one that we live in is a little bit different, but most Muslim countries, you will find Muslims, they, they will open up their little carpet thing and bow down and pray towards Mecca five times a day. And you'll hear the call to prayer through mosques, which are the places that Muslims worship five times a day. And, and there is instruction that you find in the Quran of what you have to do to please Allah. In fact, and after that, you're still not guaranteed eternal life. But it says maybe Allah will be merciful. Or in Judaism, for example, if you look at Judaism, you find the Old Testament and you find the written law. And then to take it even further, there are the I'm getting I'm I'm going to confuse this, but I think it's the, the, the Pharisees. They not only had the written law, but had the oral law as well. And these laws were given. As practice for those who followed that faith, right? Jews today, in fact, I don't know if any of you have been to Israel, but I went to Israel one time. And unfortunately, I got on the wrong elevator in our hotel on the Shabbat. And the wrong elevator means it stops on every single floor because they can't light a fire on the Shabbat. So they can't push the button. (laughs) That's how specific they get when they're practicing this law. So there's an elevator and on Shabbat, which is Saturday for the Jews, it literally stops on every single floor so that they don't have to push the button, which would be considered lighting a fire. It's crazy, right? But there are specific rules that are given in most religions. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't. He didn't really give us much. All he said was what we have here in Matthew 22. We, we also have the Great Commission, but even that's a little bit different. That's more of an assignment, something that the church will do While Jesus is not here. But Jesus says this. You're called to do one thing. He said, I want you to do one thing. And that one thing is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. He didn't go any further than that. He didn't explain or break down all the other specifics of what that looks like. He just gave us this one thing. The call of God is primarily about loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what we find is when we choose to do that, we have to make a decision whether we're going to face the sacrifices that that requires. Which is what Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 16. As he starts in Matthew chapter 16, he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Coming after him is essentially what he's saying is the great commandment. Coming after him. If anyone who would come after me, who would decide to wholeheartedly love me, to give everything for me and pursue me, then he says, let him deny himself and take up his cross. A lot of times, you know, in life, as I, as I talked about a minute ago, we we're faced with these different decisions. Maybe it's a new job, maybe it's a new house, maybe it's a, a big move, um, maybe it's a f- starting a family. All these different things, and we ask, we come before the Lord, and we ask, "Should I take this job, right? Or should I take that job? Or what's your will?" But I, I don't, I don't really think that God's looking down and. Looking at all these very specific things with a certain plan in mind for us. Although I think he knows, right? I think God is sovereign. But I don't think we can really miss the will of God. I don't think the will of God is something that we can miss. Tammy Hutchins, you guys know Tammy, she says this. I love this. She said, The will of God's like a river. Just jump into it. The will of God's like a river. Just jump into it and let it take you where it takes you. So I don't think we can miss the will of God or, for this specific purpose, the call of God. I don't think you can miss the call of God on your life. But the question is, where are our priorities? Are we coming before God and bring our hearts before him and saying, God, I want to love you with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's his invitation. I want to love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, I say all these things first to clarify what the call of God is, right? If that's our focus for this morning, we need to understand first, what is the call of God? I understand there can be specific applications, different things that God may lead people to. And we're going to talk about that here in a moment. But generally speaking, what we find in scripture, the call of God is very simple. It's loving God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. But now we know what the call of God is. The question is. How do we pursue the call of God? How do we say yes to the call of God? How do we know that we are doing this? First, this requires us to retreat into the presence of God. To get in the presence of God and ask him one thing. Are we putting anything in front of him in our lives? Does he have the first place in our life? Are we loving him with our whole heart or are there other things that we are putting in front of him? Maybe that's even your fear. Maybe that's your worry. Maybe there's things in life that are concerning or or uncertainty in the future. And you're trying to control your own life circumstances. But God's asking, are you putting that to the side for a minute and deciding to love me with your whole heart? Are we pursuing him wholeheartedly or are we neutral? In our relationship towards God. As we sit in his presence in order to do this and ask these questions, we have to make a decision. And that decision usually looks like what Jesus says in Matthew 16. Anyone who will come after me, let him deny himself. What I've found in life, and I think most of you would probably agree, is in every season of our life as believers, God is always going to give us a cross to die on. In every season of our life, God is always going to give you a cross to die on. The invitation of the gospel is not primarily about saving yourself. In fact, it's not at all about saving yourself. It is about salvation, but it's not you saving yourself. And it's not about comfort. It's not about happiness. The invitation of the gospel is to lay down your life. And the promise is that the one who does lay down their life, they will find it. And that is the definition of true joy. That when we choose to lay down our own desires when we choose to sacrifice the things that we may want for whatever reason, that in doing that, we find true joy and we find our life, is what Jesus says in Matthew 16. Saying yes to God's call to being wholehearted is a little bit of a paradox. While our motivations cannot be for blessing, our motivations cannot be for these things, our motivations primarily have to be for loving God, sometimes... There is blessing that follows this. Sometimes there are other things that God aligns. Maybe that's financial blessing. Maybe that's relationships. Maybe that that could be a a whole number of things. But that doesn't always happen either. And we make the decision despite whether we know that will happen or not. You know, my family and I, we are in the process of... uh, moving back overseas, but throughout this process, just to be very open, it's not easy. And I think it's, it's, you know, for some people, maybe looking at Stephen Randall or looking at pastors of other churches or looking at missionaries or looking at myself or whatever, you can look and think, man, they have it all together. You can look and think, they, they know what they're doing. They know how to pursue God. And I wish I could pursue God that way. But I want to tell you this morning, that's not the way it is. And for us right now, in our lives, that's not the way it is. Being 32 years old with three kids that are under four, close to grandparents, this is not the easiest decision that we've ever made. It's the right decision, but it's not The easiest decision we've ever made. We have peace and we have confidence that this is what God's called us to do. But if I have one word, I like Steve's word for this year, momentum. That was not the word I got for me and my family this year. If I'll be very honest with you, the word that I feel like the Lord spoke to me and my family for this year was this is going to be a year of tears. And not tears because things are wrong or things are are, are bad and all this, but tears because there's real sacrifice. And when you choose to say yes to loving God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, he takes you on a journey. And that journey isn't always easy. That journey is. Yeah, maybe there will be blessing, but maybe we'll get we'll get overseas and we'll set out to do everything we want to do. And it'll be like the last five years, right? The last five years we've seen one person saved that we're discipling. Because it's not easy soil. It's not easy ground. And maybe we're on the start of a journey like that again. And I don't know. I can't tell you that we're going to see revival in this country or in the Middle East. Do I want that? Of course, I want that. Am I going to pray and believe for that? I'm going to pray and believe for all of that. But I don't know. The one thing that we know is that we want to set ourselves up to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And this is what it looks like for us right now. For each of you, it's going to look very different. You know, in our worldly minds, we try to define it and we try to, as I said at the beginning, we try to think it will be something that has impact if I'm saying yes to God or it'll be something where I'm known or I'm seen or I'm recognized. That doesn't always happen. There's two people, one from the Bible and one from uh, history that I want to I want to share about that I think are examples of people who said yes to the call of God not knowing what it would do, and in fact, for themselves, led to insignificance. But in the grand scheme of things, led to huge impact. The first one is is the story of Ruth. The story of Ruth. Now, we know a little bit about the story of Ruth, but whatever you know, take it, take, remove it from your minds for a minute. Ruth was probably a insignificant Moabite woman okay and Ruth if you don't if you're not familiar with the story during Ruth's lifetime there was a famine in Bethlehem and what happened was Ruth Ruth's husband and father-in-law along with Orpah and her husband they decided to leave Bethlehem and go to the city of Moab in order to escape some of the intensities of this famine to maybe be a little bit safer. Maybe, you know, they could be provided for. Maybe they'd have some food. And they get to Moab, and you know what happens? Ruth's husband, Naomi's husband, and Orpah's husband all die. Right? Now you're left with two young girls and Naomi. And in that day, that was a terrible situation. If you did not, if you were not married, if you did not have kids, it was going to be very difficult for you in life. There were not many people who could take care of you. You probably, would have a very tough time and end up begging or end up impoverished or something like that. And so as they are realizing this, Naomi says, I have to go back to Bethlehem. I have to go back to my home. Just so you know, Moab was enemies of Israel. They were often looked at as cursed by God. um, And and that was the place that they went to. And now Naomi is saying, okay, now that we've lost everything, I'm going to go back to Bethlehem and just see if someone will help me out. And so she decides to go back. And as she's going back, she looks to her two daughter-in-laws, one of which is Ruth, and says, listen, don't go with me. This is a bad decision for you. Obviously, I'm summarizing. Don't go with me. Right. You have the world in front of you. You could get married. You can get, you know, your husband can take care of you. You can have kids and they'll take care of you. Right. That was the way the society worked. then. she says, don't go with me. And Ruth looks at her and Ruth says this. She says, listen, Naomi, where you go. I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. And she says, your people, Ruth's Moabite, don't forget. She says, your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. And where you die, there I will be buried. Ruth was presented with an opportunity to change the script of her life. But instead, she looked and saw something that looks completely hopeless, right, And said to Naomi, no, I'm going to follow you still. And that's in chapter 1. In chapter 2, they get to Bethlehem. And Naomi realizes there is probably a kinsman redeemer in her family, Boaz, someone who could marry Ruth. And so she tells Ruth to go to the fields and try to find this Boaz. And Ruth goes out all by herself. And Boaz looks at her and says, all that you've done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been told to me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. Boaz looks at her and says, I've heard of all these things. And I'm willing to consider that this may be the right thing forward for you. Obviously, we know the end of the story. Boaz does end up being the kinsman redeemer. Ruth gets married. And you know what happens? She has a son. And that son's name is what? Obed. You know who Obed was? the father of Jesse. You know who Jesse was? The father of David. And now in Matthew 1, we find Ruth. Ruth. Very insignificant woman who probably would not have been known to anybody. We find Ruth in the genealogy of Jesus. She was nobody. And you know what? She probably never even knew, definitely never even knew that something like that would happen. She probably still lived a rather insignificant life, but she knew that she wanted to say yes to God and felt something, sensed something, this is just my guess, Sensed something that was true with Naomi. So she said, I'm going to say yes to this, and she stuck with her. Where you go, I go. Where you stay, I stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. She had no promise of anything when she said that. She was already in a hopeless situation, and even when Naomi offered her a way to go back to Moab, she declined that invitation or that offer. She chose to follow the God of Israel despite the challenge that was in front of her, despite what Naomi said, which obviously that wouldn't have led her to feel much hope. If you look at it, Naomi said, the hand of God is against me. Those were Naomi's words to Ruth. She did these things not because it would make her great, not because she would have great impact. She had no idea that she would end up in the lineage, the genealogy of Jesus. But she did them to be obedient and to follow God. There's another story of someone I like more uh, probably in our revival history. And this is someone I think about a lot. Some of you guys know the man Charles Finney. Charles Finney was a revivalist. Charles Finney was a, vi- a revivalist in, in New York, Manhattan, Rochester, all these different places. And, and during that time, this is just a short quote of what, what they said during this revival. Charles Finney was right before the Second Great Awakening, just to give you a little context, 1800s or so, 1825 to 35. And during his meetings, they said this about Charles Finney. The whole community was stirred with, re- with religion. Religion was the topic of of conversation in the house, in the shop, in the office, and on the street. The only theater in the city was converted into a livery stable, whatever a livery stable is. The only circus into a soap and candle factory. Okay, it wasn't a circus, right? Shops were closed. The Sabbath was honored. Sanctuaries were filled with worshipers. A new impulse was given to every philanthropic enterprise, the fountains of benevolence were open and men lived for good and for God. And these great things were happening when Charles Finney would preach. He would host revival meetings and, and cities would, would be changed. Those little towns, that would be the topic of conversation. But there's someone else in Charles Finney's story that we don't usually hear about. And his name is Daniel Nash. We call him Father Nash. Father Nash lived from 1775 to 1831. When God would direct where a meeting was to be held, Father Nash, this is Finney's meetings, Father Nash would slip quietly into a town and seek to get two or three other people to enter into a covenant of prayer with him. Sometimes he had with him a man of similar prayer ministry, Abel Clary. Together, they would begin to pray fervently for God to move in the community. Leonard Ravenhill says this. I met an old lady who told me a story about Charles Finney that has challenged me over the years. Finney went to Bolton to minister. But before he began, two men knocked on the door of her humble cottage, wanting lodging. The poor woman looked amazed, for she had no extra accommodations. Finally, for about 25 cents a week, The two men, none other than Father Nash and Clary, rented a dark, damp cellar for the period of Finney's meetings, at least two weeks. And there, in that self-chosen cell, those prayer partners battled the forces of darkness. Another record says this, on one occasion, when I got to town to start a revival, a lady contacted me, this is Finney. A lady contacted me who ran a boarding house. She said, Brother Finney, do you know Father Nash? He and two other men have been at my boarding house for the last three days, but they haven't eaten a bite of food. I opened the door and peeped in at them because I could hear them groaning and I saw them down on their faces. They've been this way for three days, lying prostrate on the floor and groaning. I thought something awful must have happened to them. I was afraid to go in, and I didn't know what to do. Would you please come and see about them? And Finney said, "No, it isn't necessary. They just have a spirit of travail in prayer." So you have this guy, Father Nash. We hear about this incredible move of God that happens—the the second great awakening. Finney was the the the. Uh, Father of modern revival is what they call him. And during these meetings, probably the fuel of what was happening during these meetings was with Father Nash and this other guy, Clary. And nobody knows about these guys. Father Nash was never up there preaching with Finney. Father Nash could preach. In fact, he was a pastor at one time. But Father Nash knew that he would have impact. But that impact probably wouldn't be measured the way the world measures impact. So Father Nash went and he rented a room in a dark cellar, is what Ravenhill called it. And Father Nash prayed. He prayed. Ravenhill says he battled the forces of darkness. And through those prayers was given to those meetings that Finney was ha- having. Yeah, of course, Finney was anointed. Of course, God poured out his spirit. But there were people behind the scenes that are never noticed, never looked at. When you think about Jesus, who would have thought there's someone like Ruth that would be so critical to Jesus being born, Jesus coming on the earth, and what it cost Ruth to make that decision. She said no to everything that she could have controlled. Now, thankfully, God brought that blessing. They ended up with a son. She ended up married, right? But she said no to every potential of that and followed him. This morning, I think, The question isn't necessarily, do we want to change the world, right? That's not a bad question. But when we say yes to the call of God, of course, there's this desire. Yes, we want to see people come to Jesus. But the question is, what does that mean for us? And the summary for all of us is that it will require us to love the Lord our God With all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And whatever cost comes as we pursue that, we say yes. Whatever it costs us. You're either wholehearted or you're not. There's not a, if you're not wholehearted, then you're half-hearted, right? So either all of you is pursuing him. All of you is giving yourself to him. Or it's not. Now, for us in this room, when we think about momentum, when we think about this city, we all have different pieces to play in God's plan and how He wants to use this church and what He wants to do in our community. And my encouragement is: despite what that is for you, are you willing to say yes to it? Maybe it's the greatest piece of that puzzle. Maybe it's the piece that seems most insignificant. But are you willing to say yes to that? Are you willing to lay everything else aside, say yes to God? I remember when I decided to do missions 15 years ago now. I never wanted to do missions. I'm sorry. (laughs) I never thought I would do missions. I loved it. I thought it was very important. But I only wanted one thing. I just wanted to go to a place in Kansas City in the middle of nowhere and be in this weird house of prayer where people just pray all the time. Why? I wanted that because all I I wanted was to love God. That's all I wanted. If I can just give him everything, love him, worship as much as I can, because it doesn't seem like a lot of people like to do that, right? If I can just do that. And you know what happened? When I said yes to that, he said, why don't you do that in a place where people don't know me? I had, no, I had no angelic encounter. I didn't grow up thinking I'd be a missionary my whole life. I never, ever thought that. But when he said, why don't you do that? Why don't you love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength in a place where they don't even know me? And all I could do, step by step, not knowing what that means, not knowing what it would look like, step by step, all I could do was just say yes. Lord, this is insignificant. Lord, this seems hopeless. Lord, I don't even know if this is making an impact. This is pointless. And he says, just come every day and lay your heart out. Love me. Love me. And who knows? Maybe one day we'll see that impact. Maybe we won't. But obedience, giving ourselves to loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm going to invite Aaron to come back up for ministry time. As we transition into ministry time and get into, as we get into the presence of God, I think the question that we can ask first is, are we pursuing you wholeheartedly? I think that's the question. Am I pursuing you wholeheartedly right now in my life? And the Lord may bring things up to you of what that means and things that you've put before him. And as he does that, I don't want you to rush to an answer of yes, okay, God, I give that, I give that to you. I, I, I'm going to lay that down, right? I don't want you to rush to that answer. But I think it takes it takes a minute to get to the place of saying, "I will deny myself," Matthew 16. I will not seek to take up my own life, but I will lay down my life and give you these things. So as we go into ministry time, that's The way I want us to pray together and uh, there will be teams up here to pray for you if you would like to receive prayer. And um, however the Lord directs you, that's how we want to encourage you this morning. Let's pray. God, we love you. Lord, we don't know all the specifics of your call for Our lives for this church, for this city. We don't know all of these things, but God, we do know that you've called us to love you with our whole heart, all of our mind, all of our strength. And Lord, whatever sacrifice is necessary for us to do that. We want to respond to you. We want to say yes and lay those things down that it wouldn't be our life or our will, But, Lord, it would be yours. And that in pursuing you, in laying hold of you, your purposes for this city would be accomplished. Your purposes for this community would be accomplished. God, that people would hear the gospel. That people would see the beauty of your son. And they would give him everything. Everything. That's our prayer this morning. And we are broken, simple people like Ruth, like Father Nash. we don't have much that we can do. But this morning, we want to position ourselves and say, Lord, if you want to use us in what seems like insignificant ways, but whatever it is, God, we want to say yes to those things. If you want to use us in a place of prayer that eventually spawns a revival We want to say yes to those things, to secret hiddenness, maybe never being known, maybe never even seeing our impact, but knowing with confidence that we're following and being obedient to you. God, we want to say yes. So, Lord, I pray that you would speak this morning. Lord, as we enter into your presence, would you speak to us, God? In Jesus' name.